I can only imagine that tonight's reading from the book of Joshua probably raised some interesting questions in your heart. And that most of those questions, the more we talk about it and the more we think about it, could be traced back to this single question. What do we believe about the Bible? There is so much that we can say that still will be said and has for many years been said about the scriptures that are at the heart of our faith. Holy scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation. So says article number five of the 39 articles, which are the core of Anglican theology. We believe scripture to be the word of God, to be God's word written. We believe Jesus to be the incarnation of God's word and the fulfillment of all scripture. In the creed, we confess our belief that the Holy Spirit, the word of God, came and spoke through the prophets. We are a people of the book because of the Bible. And what interesting questions we can ask, what interesting things we can say about that book. Who wrote it and when? What were its authors really trying to say? Which book is the most important? How do we respond to 21st century matters according to texts from the 1st century AD or the 6th century BC? And most relevant to tonight's reading, what do we believe about how these texts came to be written? After all, it's in the second letter to Timothy, which we didn't hear tonight, where Paul says, all scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. It's from this passage that I just read, among several others, that Christians over the years have drawn the idea of divine inspiration, that beyond mere storytelling, the words of scripture are the revelation of God's own self. Some people even believe dictated word for word to the writers by God so that we may know God's own will for humanity, for our very salvation and reconciliation with God. And so the words of scripture are elevated. We elevate them, we reverence them, and we believe there's nothing in them that can be wrong or opposed to God because they are in and of themselves a reflection of the God that we seek to name and to know. That becomes a lovely, easy idea until we get to tonight's reading from the book of Joshua. In tonight's reading, we hear this incredible story of the wandering Israelites, the wandering Hebrews conquering the city of Jericho. And if you know your African-American spirituals, you know this story. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Well, it turns out the song is a little nicer than the story. Here we've got God telling the Israelites to burn the city down and kill its inhabitants, but not before plundering the town of all its precious metals. God has apparently become a pirate in this story. This is one of these stories that's hard to reconcile because the God depicted doesn't really resonate with the one that we hear of in other places in the scriptures. It doesn't resonate necessarily with the one to whom we believe we offer our praise and thanksgiving. 
what could that idea of divine inspiration mean in the context of this story? How could this story of violence and des destruction, not necessarily even condoned, but encouraged by God, be the divine revelation of the God whom, who came to offer peace and reconciliation to the whole of humanity in Jesus Christ? After posing that question, you may be disappointed to hear that I don't intend to answer that question tonight. Not directly, anyway. But what I do hope to do is to expand our deep appreciation for the way that God continues to inspire us in divine ways, to expand that definition of divine inspiration, so that just maybe we can dig deeper into an understanding of what these scriptures that we heard tonight or the other scriptures we hear from time to time, week to week, day to day here in this cathedral, even in their occasional strangeness, what they might mean to us. The American author Madeleine Lengel once said, you have to write the book that wants to be written. You have to write the book that wants to be written. The purpose of scripture, however we believe it was inspired, has always been to tell the story that wants to be told. The story of God, the story of us, and the story of our salvation. The story of those Israelites that we heard of in the first reading tonight was the story of how they believed God was moving in their life after generations of wandering in the wilderness, which came after generations of slavery in Egypt. How many times had they complained to Moses that the desert was worse than the slavery? How many times had they believed that Moses and God were conspiring to kill them all in the wilderness? They felt entirely abandoned by God. Perhaps for the Israelites, and apropos of Madeleine Lengel, this is the story that wanted to be told. For better or for worse, the author of this story was inspired by the way that he or she believed God was moving in the life of the Israelites at Jericho. It's dangerous stuff. Our neighbors to the south can tell us just how dangerous the claim to have God on your side can be. And that's why we study scripture, all of scripture, and we pray over it so that we can see and discern at all times who God really is and how God really is moving in our lives so that we can be divinely inspired ourselves, so that we can tell that story in our own lives. Because the purpose of Scripture is to tell that story of salvation. The words of Scripture are the witness and testimony of how God has been felt and known and revealed to God's people. And it turns out that that is the purpose of all revelation, to tell that story of God and us and our creation and our salvation. That is the story that God longs for us to know. That is the story that longs to be told, the story that has moved in the lives of so many and is told. And so if we believe that such divine inspiration is limited to the pages of Scripture, then we sell God short because there is no end to God's power to speak to us through this world. And that's a fact that's known by many poets, artists, and thinkers. 
Lauren Harris, one of the artists of the group of seven, created magnificent works of art, including beautiful landscapes depicting the Rockies, the Great Lakes, and the north of Canada. He once said, Art is the beginning of the vision into the realm of eternal life. Art is the beginning of the vision into the realm of eternal life. Two of Lauren Harris's prints hang in my office, and I'm so often struck by the simplicity of line and shape and the interplay of light and shadow with which he evokes the most stunning parts of God's creation. And with a palette of very few colors, he was able to reveal the wonder of nature around us. I find that it's hard not to look at these paintings and not sense a touch of divine inspiration as brushstroke followed brushstroke. I find it hard not to imagine his awe and wonder at seeing the breadth of God's creation laid out before him. I find it hard not to imagine the psalmist looking upon creation and writing fervently the words of Psalm 8, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what is humanity that you are mindful of us? What are mortals that you care for us? Remember for yourselves those moments when you have encountered anew the majesty of creation. And remember, too, that God looks after and provides for us. And remember in yourself that desire to capture what goes beyond language or art. Art is the beginning of the vision into the realm of eternal life, Lauren Harris wrote. And by the work of countless artists, we too are inspired towards the divine. Those gifted with ability in the visual arts are not alone in knowing this. It was Ludwig van Beethoven who, allegedly, said, Music is the one entrance into the higher world of knowledge which comprehends humanity, but which humanity cannot comprehend. This evening, our evensong is marked by the music of the Codex Calixtinus, one of the earliest examples of written polyphonic music from the 12th century. And like so many other pieces of sacred music, this stunning offering tonight is unrelenting in the singularity of its purpose, to give glory to God. It's a purpose embedded in the very words the choir sang tonight as the introit from the Codex. May he to whom we pray bring our praises to heaven and the melody we sing to Christ. Written before the advent of modern musical notation, it too is the work of divine inspiration. It's the work of artists who were seeking to make it possible to offer praise and thanksgiving to God through song. And so is its interpretation today as our director of music notes in the music notes in connections that we have no real idea how this would have been performed in its original context. But like the writers of the hymns that we sing each week, like the stories of David with his harp, and once again, like the ancient psalmist, so many musicians have sought to transcend the boundaries of human speech, to break beyond the confines of chant and tone, to reveal the complexity and unity of God's world with the interweaving of voice and voice and voice so that we too may be inspired to the divine as they were inspired in the act of composition. 
so that we might be brought to a higher place, a deeper understanding of God moving in our world and in our lives. Because music, Beethoven allegedly said, is the one entrance into the higher world of knowledge which comprehends humanity, but which humanity cannot comprehend. God continues to inspire us in powerful ways. God continues to inspire writers and artists and musicians and doctors and baristas and mechanics, the arts and the sciences and the humanities and all of humanity, all towards the divine. And while the things we offer may not have the status of Holy Scripture, they are nonetheless a witness to how we understand God to continue to move among us and with us in this world. And for that reason, they are essential to our faith and to the faith of those who will come after. So I pray this evening that you and I may always expand our understanding of God's divine inspiration in our own life, our understanding of that ongoing creation and revelation of God breathing into our life so that we might make our offering to God who longs to reveal the richness of all of this life to us. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.